Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson. And today I have, I'm so excited, I have Martha Oldenburg with me today. She is an experienced ICU nurse with a history in actually working rehab nursing, which doesn't get the rep that it deserves because that's really hard work. And uh, she's also in management currently. And so I'm, and she's my work wife. She's really awesome. (laughs) Is that okay for me to say that? Um, Yeah. Totally. Okay. Well, well, welcome to the show, Martha. How are you doing today? Good. I'm great. I'm really excited. I'm really excited to do this with you. Talk about some stuff. Yeah. I'm excited to have you on. How are you holding up with everything right now? I mean, uh, very well. I mean, I feel like we all kind of knew that there was going to be another tidal wave of COVID happening. So we were able to mentally prepare for it a little bit. And in fact, that's where we are. Um, yeah, I realized that a daily dose of sunshine goes a long way for helping the vitamin D happiness mm. levels. Well, good. That's good advice for people. Go out and get your sunshine if you haven't. For sure. Well, you're, it sounds like you're processing the surge better than myself. I, I definitely took like a nosedive last week and was like, oh my God, this is so fucked up. But I I'm recovered from that and have acclimated. Very yeah. deep breaths. Yeah. So today we're gonna this is kind of fun because um Martha and I both had this unique opportunity at different times to go oh, go abroad and work in with the international nursing program set up by Leah Golden. Shout out to Leah Golden. And we yeah. Leah. And so we, we both had this experience of working in the Cambodian, in some ICUs there. And, you know, the whole point was to try to introduce these like small baby ideas. And this was all um, approved and gone through legit routes. We weren't trying to come over and be like, this is the way, but we, we were involved in these like tiny, these opportunities to implement these baby, 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 baby steps that would help improve outcomes, um, potentially. So we both, we both spent some time there. So Martha, she, were you the, tell me a little bit about your experience when you went over there 
to Cambodia yeah. and what that was like, like walking on to the, an ICU in, in Cambodia? Well, um, I feel like you were about to say that I was the first, which it, I was the first nurse doctor. I was the first interdisciplinary team to go. There had been a couple of other nursing groups that had already gone. Um, so a, a physician from Harborview and I went together to try and uh, foster some like interdisciplinary education, which was such an incredible opportunity. I mean, I've now I've gone twice. The second time I also went to Vietnam. It was just so amazing. And it was, I feel like no matter how detailed a description you get of what it's like to be in a hospital in a different country, it really, I mean, the first time you walk in is just unbelievable. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I it was the same for you, but I, I feel like people had done a good job of trying to describe what it was like, but really once you walk in, it just is this onslaught of alarms and um, such a different flow and such a different work environment for those nurses who are trying to do a lot with a little. Yeah. I mean, patient ratios. I mean, we talk, we have the luxury to talk about patient ratios over in the United States and a lot of places. I mean, I can't remember if it was like one for one nurse for 12 patients, ICU patients or, you know, like. I remember in the emergency room, it was like one nurse per room. (laughs) And the room would house anywhere from like, I mean, if it was empty, it would house like, you know, just a couple patients, but it could be up to like eight, 10, 12. And then the big rooms had like up to 20 if they were lower acuity. Yeah. Um, we, we should just back up though and say, I mean, Cambodia is in, is in this very unique position because they went through a genocide. And so that mm-hmm. devastated their Every, everything, um, economic in, infrastructure, mm-hmm. actual infrastructure, all this. I mean, they, they t- took out all of the intellectual folks. Um, and so it, it just decimated their progress. And so uh, that's from why they're behind and still, still, I mean, they're like, you know, 20 years behind. <laughs> it feels yeah. Like. Yeah. At least. We were going to two different hospitals. One was private, one was public. I felt like when we walked, when I was on the, when I was in the private hospital, I felt like I was in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. And when I went to the public hospital, I felt like I was working in the 1970s. Yeah. So when you went, I remember when you came back, you c- couldn't believe actually some of the things that you had experienced and witnessed. Mm-hmm. Is there anything um, for, like sharing? Yeah, I feel like one thing that I was kind of scared about going over there was, you know, they experience a lot of different diagnoses than we typically see. They see things that we consider like not necessarily to be eradicated, but just things that we would never encounter here. Like they have, you know, tuberculosis, they have um, lots of head injury, they have uh, due to people like not wearing helmets, they have, um, lots of in Vietnam, actually, they have lots of tetany. There's lots of tetanus, which is 
these are things that I'm like, I don't know how to assess for that. You know, this is like totally outside my wheelhouse, my ICU mm. experience. So I was kind of worried about like, am I going to know how to assess that kind of stuff? And like, am I actually going to know how to help these nurses? But, you know, I mean, what I kind of realized is that like nursing is nursing. And if you know your assessment, you can assess any kind of patient. Um, and obviously it's different findings based on each different diagnosis. But when I got there, I found it, I found it very reassuring that I still knew how to assess a patient with a disease I'd never seen before. And that I was also then able to turn around and be like, you know, this is new for me and it's new for you. So let's talk about like what we're seeing with this patient. Um, like my first, my first real, they call it um, the tombstone for a STEMI, you know, for a person in cardiogenic shock, when you see that ST elevation, but the first time I ever saw that was in Cambodia. And I didn't know that I would be able to recognize it until I walked in and I was like, this guy is in trouble. And I know that that is part of partially why. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, things like that were just like, I mean, I have so much respect for the people working in those conditions, the nurses who still just at, at heart, at the bottom of their heart, they're like, I just want to do the best for my patient. Even working with like, you know, scarce medication supplies, really inconsistent supplies um, overall, even like ventilator availability and things like that. Like if, I mean, if, if these nurses feel motivated to help make things better, then I should darn well feel the same way. <laughs> living in the world of plenty that I do. I don't know. What was your experience like? I Well, I was just thinking about this moment where some guy, you know, he sees what the American nurse and is like, can you help me figure out this ventilator? And it was <laughs> like this ventilator. It was a Japanese ventilator and it was from... I don't know. It must have been from 20, 30 years ago. And it had all these <laughs> dials and, and, you know, I, it the, no, the answer was no. <laughs> I was like, uh, I was looking at, it, I was like, I think this, you know, looks like it could be idle volume. Maybe this might look like this is your oxygen dial um but you know and then you then you go well okay well can you get a blood gas at least from the patient to see how they're doing but no you can't get a blood gas because you have to have well this individual he was found down right and the physician who was so eager and, and super cool um was just like help me you know, help me with this ventilator. And, um, so then we just started talking about it and he, and so he was like, well, he needs, I'm like, can I get a good blood gas? And he's like, well, no, we can't because there's no family here because the family has to be here. Mm -hmm. He was basically like a John Doe, you know, the mm -hmm. family has to be here to consent for the lab. And so there's no family around. So that wasn't a possibility. And then the, it, and on assessment, like you said, it was very, it's very reassuring in your assessment skills. I mean, at least this, this person, unfortunately, was not on first glance. You're like, what? Uh-oh, you know, cold, 
still at a pulse, but you know, um, and he happened to have unequal pupils too. And it's like, well, can you get a head CT? No, because mm-hmm. the family would have to pay for it and they're not here, not around. Um, so, and what would you do anyway? So we just went back to this like whole back kind of back to kind of the basics of, well, you know that there's probably some neurological massive, massive neurological injury and you know, he's not waking up and there's no family around. And so yeah. what's the sense in doing all of these diagnostic tests and everything, if you already know, ultimately the outcome is poor. So, yeah. um, that, that was really powerful. Just hitting home the way that we practice in, mm-hmm. in the United States versus the way that they practice in Cambodia and really, you know, it's really resource dependent and what people can afford and yeah, go with, go with what you know. Yeah. Actually that same guy who was having the the heart attack, that was another guy kind of similar to yours. Um, his family found him down at home and brought him in. And, um, in the U S that guy would be rushed to the cath lab, you know, mm-hmm. and they were like, well, actually, before we do that, we are going to have cardiology come and do an ultrasound of his heart and see how much of his heart is damaged from this heart attack. Because if we don't feel like he's going to make a meaningful recovery, then we don't want to recommend to his family to bankrupt, like to like sell their house and bankrupt themselves to pay for the cath lab because he's going to die anyway. Mm -hmm. Just like, Holy cow the priorities and you have those like big meaningful conversations up front where in the U S we often are just like, let's do the treatment and then talk about the impact afterwards, Mm. which is really crazy. That reminds me of the added responsibility of the nurses over there and their, I don't remember which hospital it was, but one of them, they were part of their job was to make sure they could get payment. Like, like, can you imagine American or yeah. U.S. nurses trying to be like, okay, can you pay for this please first before we, we, yeah. we were responsible for that? Yeah, they were like the hospital accountants too. Yeah. <laughs> the like receipt, wasn't it? I think it was at, um, I think it was at KSFH, the like receipt saying that the family had paid for the lab is the little piece of paper you sent with the lab. Like, oh, we right. Have this, like, we just like print out a piece of paper saying, yes, this is what the doctor ordered. And you send that down with the blood, but there it's like, you have to show proof of payment in order to have the blood tested. It was so interesting. Such a wild experience. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing what people can do with, um, you know, what we consider limited resources. That's all they know. Mhm. Yeah. There was this um I was working in in one of the ICs. I mean, sh- I guess shadowing, right? Sort of shadowing helping, I don't know. I you know, we weren't in a position of like taking care of patients, but we were working, we were shadowing nurses, right? And I was working with Monica. Shout out to Monica if you listen to this. Monica, we miss you. Um, And 
I was about to leave for the day and this woman came rolling in and based on our color and her <laughs> blood pressure that I saw, I think I told you the story. Um, she was in, she was, she was in a world of hurt. She was, um, had just given birth. She was hemorrhaging. Yeah. She had come from the OR, but they weren't able to stabilize her. She had one unit of blood not going in fast. And her pressure was like 70 over 30, which is low. And I, I felt really helpless because I was thinking, okay, this nurse that's admitting this patient has six other patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like, they don't, they need like, 10 people in the room to assist in this massive emergency. Like this woman needed to be transfused. She needed to do what we would normally do here, which is like a massive MTP, massive transfusion protocol where you get all kinds of blood products super quick. And, you know, it just, it was a really gut wrenching experience because I was like, Oh my God, she's, she's going to die. She is going to die. And she was young and new mom. Mm Mm-hmm. But like, what? I couldn't act in that. Like, where do you even get the blood from? Like, you know, like yeah. I, I didn't understand their system. But it was, you know, it just really drove home. Like, um, I guess the advancements that we have and the luxuries yeah. that we have, and even in the middle of this pandemic, like we, we you know, we yeah. have so much. And she didn't. Yeah, we do. She did not make it. Yeah. But I, yeah, I feel like there are a lot of stories like that, that are like, if, if they had had this one thing, it could have been different for that person. You know, like if they had a blood bank, it would have been a different outcome. Maybe. Um, one thing that I, like I mentioned, I I went back to Cambodia a year later or was it, I think it was just one year later. Um, it's, it's a place where when you come back from working there, it can be really, um, it can be really disheartening and really like, it can make you feel heart sick a little bit of like, man, I'm just swimming in resources here. And mm-hmm. if I could just send a little bit of our excess, it would make such a big impact. Um, one thing that was so amazing about going back the second time was seeing um, was talking to the nurses and seeing like very small minor things that we had talked about and taught in the previous year, then being put into practice and seeing that like the nurses were excited that there was like, they could make a tiny positive outcome based on some thing that seemed so insignificant that we taught them. Can you um, give an example? Yeah. Um, like So the first year that I went, our focus was teaching the head to toe assessment. So we wanted to teach them how to like, I mean, it seems insane to nurses in the U S to say the nurses there don't do assessments, but our goal for the first year was teaching them how to do an assessment and then teaching them how to document it so that you could watch somebody's progress from one day to the next. So, and then the second year I went, our focus was to teach them about the ventilators because the nurses there are totally in charge of operating the ventilators and the modes and changing all the settings and stuff. 
here that is done by respiratory therapists. Um, and the first year I remember talking to this nurse, um, I think it was at Calmet and we had talked about listening to breath sounds and interpreting what those breath sounds meant. Um, and how, like, if you listen to breath sounds and then treat based on what you hear, you might be able to help get somebody off of a ventilator, right? Faster. Um, and I remember going to Calmet and the nurses were so excited to show us, like, watch us do an assessment. Now we've been doing it. And we found this crazy thing on this person's assessment. So like at Calmet, there was this person that they were like, we would have never known that this person like had all this extra fluid. And we didn't like, we wouldn't have known to ask the doctor for, you know, a diuretic, a lace fix or something mm-hmm. to help get this person off the ventilator, unless we had listened to their lungs. And they were just, they were like, so jazzed. <laughs> they were like, we would have never known to do that. And hopefully that meant that that person got to come off the ventilator a little bit sooner, you know? That's um, so exciting. That was the stuff that I was like, you can make such a big impact. I don't know. It was incredible. I would love to go back as soon as this, you know, global pandemic situation is over. <laughs> Just a little, little situation going on. Didn't you say like someone found like a realized someone's arm was broken after they did like a an assessment was that you oh I have a different story about that but that was from when I worked at a summer camp um (laughs) that's an embarrassing nursing story that I'm probably not going to share with the world but um (laughs) yeah I don't know there were I mean definitely going back and talking to them about the assessments. There was, there was things that they never thought that they would figure out that had come up. Well, let's just explain. It wasn't really in their purview. Like they were sort of, you know, taught like, well, the doctors are the ones that assess them and the doctors are the ones that do everything. And, um, but even, but the nurses obviously are the ones at the bedside all the time. And this whole program was, um, given the stamp of approval by the ministry of health, right. In, mm-hmm. in pen on pen. So, um, they were excited to have a little bit more autonomy and, you know, I talked to, it was really fun to talk blood gases with Monica. Um, and just say like, okay, well, if you see this, what should you anticipate or what would you expect or how would you treat that or what, what, you know, and it gave her a lot of, power in understanding how to take care of our patients, even if there's six of them. Yeah. Man, what an amazing place. Amazing nurses. Hey there, you fabulous nurse you. Did you know that I have a self-care for healthcare business called Unwound Retreats, where we do virtual mini retreats that offer meditation and yoga? If you go to unwoundretreats.com right now and sign up for my email list, I'll send you over a free PDF of seven ways to de-stress at work and refill your cup. Also, you'll get to hear about my upcoming offerings for nurses, including a Nurses Moroccan Retreat this June 2021. After the year we're having, we're definitely going to need this. Again, go to unwoundretreats.com and sign up today. Did you have any like, holy shit, I can't believe you do that moments? Yes. (laughs) I can tell you one of mine and then you can tell me one of yours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. There was a lot. There were a lot of those. 
Fred, yeah. I remember going into the emergency room. Actually, no, it was in the medical ICU at KSFH. And the nurses there, they do all the blood draws, right? So the nurses do the blood draws. They don't have phlebotomy. The nurses, I realized, would just take a needle and go into the the exterior jug, the external jugular for their routine lab draws. And I was like, why are you poking that? Why do you have a needle in that person's neck? And they were like, oh, that's, they're they're drawing labs. Do you have like, are you better at doing these draws? And they like handed me a needle and expected me to stab somebody in the neck. And I was like, I, you know, this is not part of my routine uh, skill set. So um, I'm not going to stick this person in the neck, but I will show you where we usually do it, which is like in their arms or hands where you might not like accidentally stab them. And in their artery or carotid. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Yeah. She's <laughs> like, get the needle out of that person's neck. I don't want to be a part of that. Um, well, I, <laughs> I, well, and I love too, because you're the American, they're like, oh, you must do it better here. Yeah. Here you go. There you go. Uh, I watched someone do a um, dressing change, like a central line dressing change, and and also oral care. Oral care was a sterile procedure, which was interesting to me. Hmm. And because um, it's not a sterile place in our mouths. And then the dressing change, they do did it. They did a central line dressing change every day, and they took the dressing off and would clean it with alcohol, but didn't let it dry. Now the whole point of having a disinfectant on there is you in the drying process, you, that is where it kills all the bacteria. So, um, I was like, Oh, and uh Oh, Oh, now you're wiping off all of the stuff that's actually (laughs) supposed to keep it clean. But again, it was this, this place of, well, okay, um, the way that they're taught how to do things isn't, you know, it's as an American, I couldn't just come in there and say, you're doing it wrong, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is your hospital's policy, but. Oh, um, and it's to no fault of their own. I mean, it's just, it's just where they were in their in their practice. I mean, every, our practice has evolved over time and theirs has also evolved over time. It's just, and you know, they're like you said, they're fantastic clinicians and with what they, what they're given. So, you know, I didn't, I wouldn't want to be the ugly American being like, what are you, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Well, because as we witnessed or we heard, like, I don't know, when I might I might cut this part out, but like, if he there was one we know of at least one person that was like um, saw someone coding started CPR, and so then they thought, well, there there there's the American they've got to handle. They don't need any help, and so all the yeah. rest of the team left. Yeah, and then you're there doing CPR for alone. What? Yeah, without any help in it. Yeah, so anyway. That was a situation that obviously we all wanted to avoid. If we were, you know, we were just observers. And also when we were trying to help, but like, again, I'm sort of talking in circles, we didn't want to take over. 
And that same day that I saw that um, dressing change, the neighbor that was right next door, couldn't believe it. The neighbor patient was American and he was, yeah. he was there because he had been found down and he had, I don't know, they brought him to the neuro ICU because he had, I guess, overdosed on morphine or something like that. And he was like in his sixties or seventies or something. And, um, he was coming morphine to over the counter, right? What? Cause you can get morphine over the counter there, right? Oh, probably. Um, in time, and so the patient saw me and he was like, Oh, hi, what are you doing here? You're American. Um, and he realized he was actually, um, he, he was, he was not in a coma. He was doing fine. Actually, he was alert and oriented and he had a, I happened to notice that his fully catheter wasn't draining at all. And they hadn't, and his, and it had, you know, I'd been there for like, I don't know, a number of hours. And I, and I said something to his nurse, like, it's, it says fully is not draining. And the man's like, I feel like I really have to pee. And anyway, there were, there were, I'm not going to talk about what exactly was happening, but they were doing a lot of manipulation with this catheter and all this stuff. And at one point, <laughs> the American is like, help me, help me. <laughs> You have to help me. You have to get them to give me pain medicine. You have to help me. And uh, I'm like, I can't. I tried. I went to the, I guess the doctor in the unit on the, on the nurse's behalf, on the patient's behalf. I kind of crossed a line because I'm not, wasn't caring for that patient. And I said, what? I thought was happening. And I also said that I think he needs pain medication, but can you imagine that whole experience? We talked about this before being like, I, I, I was that whole time I was in, there. I was like, don't get sick. Don't get sick. Don't get sick. Don't get sick. Don't yeah. get yeah. sick. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I think we, I, we did talk about that because one of the first patients I saw was from the U.S. as well. And he was totally unconscious. He was in the ICU. Hmm. Um, and they didn't really know what to do with him. He was like in a, on, in a coma, on a ventilator. He had, they had done a ton of procedures to try and figure out what was wrong with this guy, including like a lumbar puncture. Um, they had done a head CT because his like girlfriend was there and she was paying for all this stuff. Um, mm. and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with them. And they were like asking for my recommendations. And I was like, uh, and the whole time in my mind, I was like, I don't even want to know what a lumbar puncture looks like when you do it here at the bedside in the ICU. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what you should do with this guy. I can tell you how to do a nursing assessment. Um, but yeah same reverberation in my head of like oh god please let me not this please never never let this be me laying in this bed you're kind of taking the risk in your own hands when you do that but yeah pretty scary yeah travel insurance yep that includes recommended. flight uh evacuation yep yeah of course also did you ever watch that movie about the like tsunami 
in Thailand and there was this like Spanish family that was traveling there and got caught in the tsunami and they all got separate. Oh my God. I, for some reason decided to watch that, like right before I went to Asia, Oh, it was like <laughs> about this family and they were like dealing with being in these, um, you know, like very poorly resourced hospitals in Southeastern Asia. And they were like, one of them I think was a physician and she was, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> wouldn't recommend watching that right before you travel because you just want to be evacuated. That's all you need to know. Anyway. Yes, you do. Yeah. Such an amazing experience. And yeah, it was, it was I, I really want to go back there. I loved all of the people that I worked with and mm-hmm. it was such um, a great program and, mm-hmm. and it is such a great program whenever we can we can get back over there for that. And, and really, honestly, I mean, they, the, that program impacted how those nurses cared for their patients. And, um, and it was, I, I feel like it was done really respectfully. Um, and, Mm -hmm. and greatly did an amazing job. Yeah, I agree. It was about meeting them where they are and, trying to offer them help. Yeah. Oh gosh. When I got there, one of the physicians said to me, you know what I think? I think that you should build a school and put on a school for all of the ICU nurses. And then do you think, you think you can do that? Easy peasy. Oh, (laughs) easy peasy. I, I know exactly who you're talking about because I'm pretty sure that same person told me that he wanted me to make them a code team. And I was like, uh, we got to start by teaching somebody in this country CPR. And I don't know how to go about that, but that's where we start. I didn't ever see anybody code actually. Did you? Oh, oh yeah. And the CPR. Oh my gosh. Let me tell you, if you're going to code, don't do it in Cambodia. I saw a person code at KSFH in the surgical ICU, which of course is like a room full of how many people are in that room? 18, 20. Yeah. 16 or 20. And of course, like everybody's on a ventilator, everybody's on a machine, but none of the machines work quite, quite right. So all of them are alarming all the time. And this one poor guy. Oh, clearly. I mean, we've worked with brain dead people. This guy was, this guy was brain dead. Like, I could see it, you know, you could see it from a mile away, like Mm -hmm. no reflexes, pupils, totally blown. Um, I hit, I think his wife had just found him like that and brought him in. Um, he coded and the CPR just looked like, okay, this is meant respectfully. The CPR looked like they were just punching the guy in the chest, (laughs) like just, just like a fist into the sternum. And then they would like, wait a few seconds, do it again. And then they would like kind of rub. It was, I don't know. It was not. <laughs> that Was that trying to be like, what is that? Or yeah, the thump? What is that called? I might have to look that up. Cardi- cardiac thump. Cardiac thump. Maybe. They, don't, they clearly don't have the same like ER, like TV shows that we have that kind of sort of show you what CPR is supposed to look like, even though it's totally unrealistic. On TV. Oh God. 
Yeah, it's, so it's a precordial thump. So this is something that I'm thumping. sure that they, I was based in science. Precordial thump is a medical procedure used in the treatment of V-fib, ventricular fibrillation or pulseless ventricular tachycardia under certain conditions. Um, so that must, must have been what they were trying to do. But it's not part of any ACL, any of our ACLS, no. Advanced Cardiac Life Support algorithms. Yeah. I've referenced that a few times on this podcast, ACLS. Wow. Yeah, not- well, that, that feels bad because then you're, you're like, well, how is that effective? Yeah. I mean, the one like that, yeah, definitely not effective. The one little piece of mind that I had was like, he's already brain dead. Right. Like we, you know, he's yeah. not coming down. But it's showing at least that they're doing everything they know how to do. They're using their whole toolbox. Yeah. What a crazy, what a crazy experience. What a crazy, yes, what a crazy experience. Those, um, yeah, we worked with some of the nicest uh, people there that were so thoughtful. Oh, and we had actually, we brought some folks over to the, U- to the U.S. actually, too, mm-hmm. to do a bit of a exchange. So that was... Uh, mm-hmm really great for them. I, I felt horribly guilty at one point talking to one of the nurses who I knew was coming to the United States. And I just said, I'm sorry, it's not fair. It's not fair. We have everything Mm -hmm. over here in terms of resources. And I apologize in advance that what you might endure might be a bit to bear. It's kind of amazing though. Like I know you and I have talked about also before I work, my very first job as a nurse was in Iowa and our ratios there were like, not, not Cambodia ratios by any means, but we would have like six, eight, 10 patients to one nurse. My, my, uh, one night we had 22 patients. I was the charge nurse. I had 11 patients and then I worked with one other nurse that, a new grad who also had 11 patients. And that was like, I mean, I've never felt more unsafe than that situation. And so I really just try and channel like (laughs) the feeling of like, it's my responsibility to care for these 11 people as best I can. And when I think about those nurses in Cambodia who are like, I have to take care of 15 patients at a time. Yeah. But it's amazing the disparity even across the U S I mean, like even in, like a quote unquote first world country, there's major health disparity between us and other parts of the country. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was like your worst experience yeah. ever as a nurse. And I would call that a f- nurse down story. <laughs> you were, yeah, yeah. A nurse down. Well, weren't you working night shift or something? Yeah, I was working night shift. I had been a nurse for almost two years and I was in charge of the unit. And like the only good thing that happened was that no, nothing went wrong with any of those 22 people that night. Because if anything had gone wrong, then that's like 21 people without a nurse while the two nurses deal with the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, I was in a situation where my I called my manager, I called my assistant managers and they were like, we're not allowed to come in because we have salary positions. I don't really remember the excuse, but, or the, the reasoning, I mean, not the excuse, but um, yeah. And then I moved to Washington and I was like, holy cow. Like that is what nurses in Iowa know. Like that's what they think nursing is. 
And then I come here and I'm like, wow, the world is different. (laughs) And we don't know how good we have it. Uh Um, But also when you're in that situation, you don't know how bad you have it. Like that's just normal. Uh And maybe, maybe people look at what we have and they're like, man, you don't know how much better you could have it. But I'm going to channel this conversation for the next time I feel overwhelmed at work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which which can happen based on whatever's happening, but it's like, well, it could be a a lot worse. Yeah. I I definitely have the mentality. (laughs) I don't get, I don't get rattled by that much anymore. It definitely still happens, but I think, you know, the more you see, the more you realize how bad it could be and how good it could be. So Martha, I hope that there is a time when you and I can go back to Cambodia. I would love that, Nicole. And maybe when this... such a fun travel buddy. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be so fun to travel with you. I I hope that, you know, obviously we don't know what's going to happen with this pandemic. Hopefully everyone's going to wear their mask and slow this down and we can get a vaccine and all of that. And then at some point in the future, we can go back to Cambodia, um, which was while we did see and experience some crazy wild stuff. um, It was a very meaningful experience experience it really brought home a nurse is a nurse is a nurse right Mm -hmm. we just have a lot of different tools where you are it's location dependent but um anyway thank you so much for sharing this time with me today i love to have you on the show i'd love to have you again back on the show again and hopefully i'll be working with you shortly and i'll see your beautiful face soon Okay. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being up, being on the show, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you are listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Found Down Podcast. We'll see you on the next one.